are listening to the Moody Girl Podcast with me, Emily Fazer. Throughout this series, we're going to be opening the minds of experts and delving into the world of alternative healing methods. Before we start the episode today, I wanted to ask all of you listeners a question. Did you know that a lot of people are living with lower than recommended magnesium levels? I didn't know this either and had never explored incorporating magnesium into my daily life until I started having skin issues. I now use Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray when I get out of the shower in the morning and spray onto my feet before I go to bed. I found that when I had psoriasis and hormonal breakouts on my face or body, I would spray it on and at first it really stung. But this was a sign from my body that my cellular magnesium levels were low. The more I got the magnesium into my system daily, the less it stung. It made sense. If you're feeling like you could benefit from having magnesium in your life, I would strongly recommend looking into using Better You Magnesium Oil Body Spray. Link to purchase is in the bio. Now, let's get to the episode. This week, I'm speaking to Carlos Tanner, who's a director of the Ayahuasca Foundation in Peru. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast and you haven't already, please do like, share, subscribe and give a five-star review. It really helps. The Ayahuasca Foundation provides ayahuasca healing retreats ranging from 10 days, 18 days, all the way up to four weeks. If you've never heard of ayahuasca before, don't worry. We'll go into this in much more depth on today's show. But to give you a brief idea, the word ayahuasca refers to a medicinal brew with the main ingredient being the ayahuasca vine. The vine is cooked, usually in combination with at least one other admixture plant, to produce a brown liquid that is consumed in healing ceremonies led by Amazon healers. It's not uncommon to experience a regression back to the situation or source of a problem or trauma when doing ayahuasca. It's said that to relive the experience is to gain new understanding and insights enabling resolution or closure. This topic is such a fascinating one and something I'm so looking forward to speaking with Carlos about today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's get to it. So welcome, Carlos, to the Moody Girl podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me to be on the show. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, It's a subject that I know probably a, a very small amount on. Um, I've always found it very fascinating. Um, and even just before recording just now, you're already kind of going into so many um, amazing, you know, studies that you're that you're currently working on. So I'm really looking forward to sharing um, the amazing work that you're doing, your story um, with the Moody Girl audience today. Um, so yeah, so thank you for, for joining us. And I mean, if we start this, back at the beginning um so for any any listeners i mean i'm based in the uk um you know i've kind of mentioned to people about ayahuasca before in the past and you know some some people are somewhat conservative when it comes to mind altering experiences and um, may not even know the basics so exactly what it is you know Um, So, I mean, if we can just strip it back uh, to the basics and for anyone listening who has never heard of it, uh, who doesn't know of your foundation, can you give us like a general brief, you know, synopsis of of what you're doing and and what what exactly ayahuasca is? I'll do my best. So ayahuasca is the name of a vine that grows in the Amazon rainforest. Its Latin name is Banisteriopsis capi, and it 
has become or developed over thousands of years to be the core of a plant medicine healing tradition of nearly a hundred, if not more, indigenous groups spread across the Western Amazon region. And um, that vine is was used by itself, but then at some point more recently, it was mixed with another plant called Chacruna, which is the Latin name would be Psychotria viridis. And so nowadays, when we talk about ayahuasca as a medicine, we usually are referring to a combination of those two plants, uh, Psychotria viridis and Banisteriopsis capi. But Banisteriopsis capi is the actual plant called ayahuasca, and the medicine that's made from it is also called ayahuasca. Of course, there's a lot of different names because there's so many indigenous languages that use it, but ayahuasca has become kind of the global accepted name for it. And what that medicine does is... I mean, from a chemical perspective within the Western medical world, they would say that it is an orally activated dimethyltryptamine experience. So the chacruna contains dimethyltryptamine and the uh, vine, the ayahuasca vine contains what are called MAO inhibitors or monoamine oxidase inhibitors that prevent our normal gut enzymes from breaking down dimethyltryptamine such that it can then like go and stay in our brain for an extended period of time, like two or three or four hours. Um, uh, dimethyltryptamine is produced in our body as well as all living beings, but, and typically it's produced in our pineal gland. And, and so even though you could call it um, an, an orally activated dimethyltryptamine experience, that's not totally understood for sure. Um, and because dimethyltryptamine wasn't part of the ayahuasca for maybe thousands of years, I don't think that that's like a complete accurate understanding of what the medicine does. But what we can see, or at least my perception of what happens when someone ingests ayahuasca is that it reduces sensory gating, which is uh, sensory gating is our natural um, conditioning to reduce how much sensory information we're able to process. So the visible spectrum is a perfect example. While our eyes are taking in a very wide frequency spectrum of light and colors, we only process what we call the visible spectrum. And, and then the same with sound and all of our senses essentially reduce how much we have access to or can process. And that's really because it would make life incredibly challenging if we could hear all those sounds. And if we could see all those colors, it would be almost impossible to walk down the street and definitely drive a car, like all of those things, right? So evolutionarily, we've developed these limitations, these kind of blinders for our sensory perceptive abilities. And ayahuasca reduces those blinders or like, you know, opens them up to give the sensation of an amplified sensory perception experience. Wow. And for that reason, it's done in ceremony in a very controlled setting so that you're not driving your car, so that you're not walking down the street, so that you're just in one dark space now the darkness would be to ex in further enhance the sensitivity of our eyes so that we can like go as far as possible into light frequencies that might normally be invisible or inaccessible to our consciousness as well as um, you know in in silence uh, or at least 
people in their participation aren't talking to each other. It's kind of a very inner experience. And that ceremony process has been developed also for thousands of years. So it's really, to me, a, a science of consciousness enhancement in conjunction with taking a substance that allows us an expanded awareness or a hypersensitivity to uh, sensation. And what is super fascinating to me, um, all of it really is fascinating, but that because we are taking in all that information, our subconscious or our consciousness as a whole does keep that information, even though we might not have access to it. And so if I take ayahuasca and now I think of a memory in my life, I will also have more awareness of what was happening when I look into that memory. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So that's like the really fascinating part. So there's this incredible um, opportunity when you have an expansion of awareness to see like more of the world or reality or yourself. Mm. And, and that obviously has some real advantages, mm -hmm. but then you can also access that expansion of awareness in your memories, wow. which can then really help you to correct any inaccuracies in your interpretation because of your own limitations right so mm -hmm. so in that sense when we're talking about looking into the resolution of traumas that plays like a really big role so it, essentially there's this science of consciousness enhancement using this incredibly unique medicine that helps to reduce sensory um gating for us or to amplify sensory perceptive ability and that is the core of a plant medicine tradition that has developed for many 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 generations in the amazon rainforest so our organization works with indigenous healers who have come from those multi-generational traditions and then we essentially organize and host uh, programs healing programs where people from all over the world can do that in a very safe and reliable way, but also with a, an understanding that we provide like our own interpretation into the Western mindset so that these concepts can be understood. Like what I'm doing for you right now is my part, you know, where if you spoke to an indigenous Corandero, they probably wouldn't put it into that language because they don't understand the world that we come from. So that's where like our organization bridges that gap between two kind of distinct perceptions of reality such that the people that need that help can understand it and go as deeply as possible with their own healing processes. Wow. I mean, just so much to think about what you've just said there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like for anyone, I guess, who comes to the ayahuasca foundation, you know, um, how long is their stay with you when they do, you know, like an ayahuasca retreat or, you know, how does, how does that look? So is it like a big thing or is there like, is it small intimate groups? Do you handpick the shaman? Is, do you have one shaman per person? You know, there's so many questions I have. Sure. Um, well, we, we base it, of course, on the indigenous tradition. We work with one indigenous group and we really work with one family within that indigenous group, which is the Shipibo Conibo is the name of the tribe, or we would just call them Shipibo. And um, we work with one family, which is the Mahua Lopez family. I call them those two names because in 
in South America and other cultures, they use both names, the mother and the father. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Mahua Lopez refers to like essentially two familial lineages that came together when Don Enrique Lopez married Doña Bilma Mahua and their tradition became this unique creation, you know, when you when two uh, multi-generational traditions were brought together and, and essentially fused. And, and so that's the only people that we work with and mm-hmm. they run all of our programs. Wow. Um, I like to keep it that way because that means that the tradition is the same. You know, we do it the same way, every program, even when there's um, other people involved, they're still part of a very similar tradition. But it's interesting to note just because these are three coranderos. I did have four uh, coranderos from that family. So at one point I was working with all three brothers, uh, Enrique Miguel and Rono Lopez, and then also Doña Vilma Mahua. And um, even within them, they don't do it the same. Mm. You know, it's not like it's, it's not the exact same for each one. And, and that to me points to something that I describe as the art form of healing. Mm. And, and that's one of the things I'm really passionate about to try to return our understanding of healing into a acceptance or acknowledgement of the art form. And, and that speaks directly to the way that the ceremonies are held because the coranderos, uh, I'm sorry, I use the word corandero. Um, shaman is another word, but that's not the word that we would use. So I'm just going to keep yeah. using corandero. Yeah. Yeah, it, means he, it means healer mm-hmm. um, from curar to cure. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the ceremony is a corandero singing. They, they're performing. It's a total performance. But through those songs, they are expressing a combination of heart and mind in a way that we don't really see, I think, in Western medicine. And we don't really think about um, Western medicine as an art form. But when you put it into art form, it really does bring the heart into it and the emotions. And, you know, when we listen to music, we feel that, right? It's not an intellectual experience. And when we see and we witness art, whether it's dancing or painting or whatever, like it is a holistic experience for us where it combines our our emotions and our minds and our thoughts. And, and that to me is a better way to approach healing because we are emotional bodies, uh, beings, and we do have physical bodies, but you can't just do one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. And And so- um, our shorter programs are what we refer to as retreats. They're intended for people that are just looking to be healed. And we have 10 day retreat. That's our shortest program. And then an 18 day retreat is our longer retreat. Then we have educational courses. And those four are for people that feel a call to be a healer that already recognize in themselves that they have a natural ability to help people. And they are obviously like um, pulled in a preference towards plant medicines or indigenous traditions. And and so we have a four-week course that we call an empowerment course, which is really about teaching a person how to take responsibility for their own healing and, you know, be their own healer with knowledge from these indigenous traditions or from the Shipibo tradition. And then we have an eight-week course that we call the initiation course. And that's for students that or people that really feel that it's their calling to work with ayahuasca as uh, the core of their own healing practice. 
such that they want to hold ceremonies in their home countries and want to work in that tradition to help people in their home countries. So we've had that course. Uh, we just finished our 51st course. Wow. Um, and our four-week course, we started in 2017 when we opened a new research center. Um, so we also like host research for those um, retreats and programs. And and that's what our organization does. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's there's so much to it. Um, I mean, when, when you say you conduct research after retreats, um, you know, what what type of things are you looking at? Are you looking at, you know, how people arrive um, and then the level of health when they arrive and then the level of health when they leave? You know, how do you measure that? Um, is it, yeah, if you could talk through that process, that would be amazing. Right. In the beginning, um, the research, we've been doing this research uh, for eight years or hosting this research, I should say, because I don't do it. I'm not a, a doctor or a scientist. Um, but I collaborate with a team called Onaya Science from the UK, actually. Oh, cool. And um, our first research project, they funded just on their credit cards, but it was enough to show the value of the research to continue that they were able to get a grant from the British Medical Research Council, which was the first ever government funded ayahuasca research. So that was kind of cool. Wow. wow. Um, and and really thank you to the British Medical Research Council for, for doing that. Um, but that research was pretty much what you're describing. They filled out psychological evaluations that were measurements that could give them somewhat like a, a numerical measurement of where they were um, for depression, for anxiety, for different types of depression and different types of anxiety, for overall quality of life and, and emotional and psychological well-being. And then those evaluations were given again at after the retreat and then they were given again six months later to mm -hmm. see to follow up to see if the effects were lasting mm -hmm. and that was i mean those results were really um, amazing especially the follow-up um, like in the case of depression there was a sharp decline in the symptoms of depression from before to after but six months later it had continued to decline Mm. And, and with, you know, so with no treatment, except what had happened six months prior, people were still less depressed and, and continuing in that direction. So that really spoke to like a permanent change and that the permanent change was even like going to be more expansive as time went on, because as that person integrated the, the profound transformation of the, the retreat it would then like, you know, permeate into the other aspects of their life. And, you know, so that was like fantastic. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, that's, that was one of my questions actually. I was going to say like, yeah, because you can always do something, whether it's a retreat or, you know, so there's so many different health practices out there. And whilst you're, you're in it, it probably feels great. But as you say, six months down the line, life gets on top of people. Um, but what you're saying is, that still continued to work. So, I mean, scientifically, how does it continue in the brain or is is it still kind of in the system? How does, how, like, it's mind baffling. Uh, well, it, it, what is the it, right? Yeah, I think that I know, you need yeah. medicine and it's yeah. not. And that's yeah. where it kind of really changes the way that we should be looking at healing mm -hmm. and looking at what medicine should do for us. Um, but- maybe just touching on the next phase of the study. So 
that was how the studies started. But then we introduced, or the, sorry, the research team introduced um, a, a look at epigenetics. So they started taking uh, saliva samples before and after and six months later as well. And, and then they did um, genetic expression analysis. So they looked at whether a gene had been activated or not leading up to a retreat and then whether that gene was still activated or inactive after a retreat, and then again six months later. And they targeted three genes specifically that are already known to be associated with how we remember traumatic events. So if you've had a trauma in your life and it is bothered, you know, it is like you are suffering from the trauma, then a gene called SIGMAR1 will be activated and and so we can you know this is the understanding that we've gotten to at this point that you could analyze a person's genetics and through that see if they are impacted by trauma in their life if they have an activated sigmar1 gene and then after the retreat looking at that same sigmar1 gene it was deactivated mm -hmm. and so that would suggest that through the process of the retreat there was a resolution to the impact that traumatic events had, or at least how they transformed the way that they remembered those events is a really better or more accurate way of describing what happened. And then six months later, it still was deactivated. And so that kind of speaks to the heart of it, right? Mm. Especially with how we remember. Now that to me is like very, very important because trauma is not the experience that we have. It's the impact the experience we have has on us. And a big part of that is how we remember the experience. And how we remember the experience is actually how we interpret the experience, right? We don't remember the experience in its pure state. We remember our interpretation of the experience. And the interpretation of our experience or the memory of our experience then serves as a reference for when we have any similar type of experience, we reference our memory of, to as an aid, it's really like a program that should help us, right? Like, mm -hmm. here's a situation, what should I do? I'm going to think, what did I do before, right? Like, that's, that's it, it happens just like that without us choosing to or not, it just happens. The same way that if I just started telling you about whales and i went on a whale watching trip right now like you're already looking for whale information you know like did i watch a whale documentary <laughs> you know did i hear some piece of news about whale? it just happens but it's to help us right it's to help us navigate the complexities of life unfortunately when we have a really detrimental memory that is goes against our well-being we still reference it and then it creates a negative response mm -hmm. and now we're like trapped in this loop where we have a negative response to an experience, we interpret it negatively, we remember it negatively, and that negative memory serves to as a reference for our next response, you know, and, and that's what I how I describe what trauma does to us. Mm. Whereas if you can enter into that expanded state of awareness that I described as the effect of ayahuasca done in that scientific consciousness enhancement ceremony, then you have the opportunity to change the interpretation. And by doing so, you change the memory. 
-hmm. And when you change the memory, you influence in a different way how you'll respond the next time. And that is how that that program can be alleviated. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're in a state of expanded awareness, it's the easiest way to describe it would be turning on the light in a dimly lit room. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're in a dimly lit room, you can see stuff, but you can't totally see it all, right? Like you, you have enough to like make out what you think is going on in there, what, where everything is or what it all is. And then you turn the light on and a much brighter light happens, which gives you much more clarity. Oh, that's, you know what I thought, oh man, I thought that was something different. You know, I, and so you see everything with much greater clarity. That's the expansion of awareness, right? That's the amplification of sensory perception, except that I'm giving the example as exterior instead of interior, but Mm -hmm. essentially that's the idea, right? What if I could turn the lights on and see much more of my environment or much more of my life? And, and so right off the bat, you're like, oh, I got that wrong. You know, like if you thought that something in the corner was, I don't know, like an animal or something, and now you turn the light on and you're like, oh shit, that's like one of my kids' toys. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you're never going to think it's an animal again. You know what I mean? Like you, yeah. you just corrected it and you'll never think it's an animal again. You might have thought it was an animal for 25 years. But now, because of this expansion of awareness or this amplification of sensory perceptive ability, this turning the light on, you know what it is more accurately. And so you change your memory. Now, you might still have, for so long, I thought it was this until I realized, you know, and, and that is really like a way that gets described when people talk about their experiences. And, and so because of that, it is permanent. You know, it's not that like you're trying to convince yourself of something that you're not still sure of, but it sounds better if you think this way, which I'm not against, but it's just not as profound. You know, this mm-hmm. is really like I saw it, mm. you know, like I, I I saw it with my own eyes. Like totally. it, it's different, you know, it's different than the way I, I thought. Yeah, I understand you know and mm-hmm. and so when you have that type of experience then yeah it's not you're not going to go back mm-hmm. you're not you're not going to go back like oh i've i learned the truth but maybe i'll go back and think it's wrong you know like you wouldn't do that not you just exactly. you don't do it and so it's a real like magical experience to be able to have that opportunity wow i mean yeah cuz i even with myself like i've, I've never been lucky enough to you know try ayahuasca but I've always you know kind of been interested in it um but I myself am quite an like anxious person um and have dealt with my own demons throughout my life um and have you know gone on that self-help journey whether it be you know trying to reprogram my my brain in so many different ways which seems like uh, a lot of work at the time you know and what you're describing sounds incredible um I mean I guess the one thing and this is probably from your perspective it might seem so I don't know um silly but from from my perspective I've always been worried what would come up if I was in like an ayahuasca ceremony what if you know you hear these stories of like a bad trip like a bad acid trip or um and I I don't know I guess it's that it's that element we we as human beings have we're 
grasping onto control throughout the whole of our lives. And as soon as we almost hand over the keys to whatever's going on in our subconscious mind, it feels like a big key to hand over, you know? Um, so what what would be your, um, you know, have you ever experienced anyone who had a bad experience and, and how do they, how do they overcome it or how did they, you know, work through that to then come out the other side? Yeah, well, everything you just said is like 98% of people, you know, say mm-hmm. that it's it's very, very common. And and by that, I mean, like the concern that what's going to come up, you know, um, and, and I guess like, you know, we all we're all like, always trying to navigate what's going to come up, you know, even if it's not an ayahuasca experience, we're always like, concerned about what's going to come up like will i be able to handle whatever my imagination is trying to create fear about you know mm-hmm. and um and i think that ayahuasca just kind of like stands out because you know that you're going to see more it's like oh my god do i really want to turn the light on you know like <laughs> do i really want to see what's there um but there's the the like positive component to fear which i would call faith because you know both fear and faith are are based on your imagination right it's like i don't know what's going to happen and i'm scared Mm. and faith is like i don't know what's going to happen and i know i know it will be exactly what i need Mm. you know and so they're the same kind of concept or the same situation but two different ways of processing it and I wish I could just be like, so don't be scared. Just don't be <laughs> scared anymore. You got yeah. it. Um, but that's really like what we try to do. And that's why I call it a science of consciousness enhancement, because the tradition has developed for such a long time that for you and I, we didn't grow up with that tradition. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have a shaman who was doing this stuff that was at the core of our self-identity, how we understood our world and how we relate to it. And all of those elements were defined by these cultural paradigms. We didn't grow up in that paradigm. Mm-hmm. And we we grew up though in, a, in our own paradigm where we do, or at least did, I think that it's fading. But when you saw a guy or a, a person in a white jacket with a stethoscope and they had like a clipboard or something, they were, you trusted that person. Like Mm -hmm. if they told you that they just did some tests and they came back with this and you need to do this, you're like, let's do it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that is fading and, um, but that's like a good example at least. So Mm -hmm. if you grew up in a Shipibo culture, you weren't like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You, you were much more inclined to have that faith because you already had built upon so many of these truths that had been conditioned by the cultural experience. So like you, you just knew there was a bunch of things that you just know. Mm. And, and that speaks, I think, to the complexity of consciousness, right? Like we are building on all of these ideas and we have an idea that becomes like a truth for us or a truth in our culture. And then on top of that, we build all these other beliefs and our whole belief structures, you know, down to these foundations of truth that aren't really truth. But Mm -hmm. as long as we hold them as truth, 
then they serve as truths in our belief system and and that's where like if you turn the light on and you realize shit one of my truths isn't true then everything i built on it doesn't have anything to stand on anymore and and that can seem scary mm. you know it's, it's kind of like saying my whole world might come crashing down mm. but that would be the fear like language but the other language would be that i just got rid of all the bullshit that i had been living my life as yeah and you know and so you do the best that you can you know like yeah. you just do the best that you can i i do like as my job in our organization i schedule calls with every person and we have conversations similar to this as mm-hmm. i try my best to guide them you know, away from fear towards faith and the the way that our organization presents itself. And like, you know, we're constantly doing the best that we can to ensure that a person is safe and in good hands and mm-hmm. that the outcome will be beneficial for them. And mm-hmm. I think that speaks uh, a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I think that work does a lot. Now, do people have bad trips? Well, I, it's not so simple to say what a bad trip is, right? Yeah. Um, okay. I, normally, you would say a bad trip is if you are in the experience and you say, man, I don't like this. This is, uh, if you say something like, I, I don't know, you can swear, right? I can swear. Yeah, yeah. You can, yeah like yeah. if you say, I'm fucked up right now, you know, <laughs> I am so fucked up. You know, if that's like starting to be the language that you're using, then you might say that this is a bad trip. Mm. But if you are revisiting a very emotionally traumatic experience so that you can improve your understanding of it, Mm. well, yeah, man, that's not going to be a fun time. No. You know, you're not going to be like, oh, great. I get to like look at this fucking thing that's been like, like poisoning my life for the last decade. Yeah. But, but if you come out of it and you have improved your understanding to this to a degree where you can say, I I, I think I'm good, you know, mm. like I, I think I'm fixed, then fuck, let's have the bad trip again, you know. Yeah. So it's not so much about whether or not you have a bad trip. It's really about whether you think it's it was worth it. Mm. And that comes you might not see that right away, you know. That yeah. comes from later on when you actually see yourself in that experience. You're like, oh, shit, I'm not triggered right now. Like, mm. oh, shit, I don't have anxiety, mm. you know, and then you start to kind of rebuild a new you yeah. where you're you're starting to say used to, you know, because there's a new you now. So it's like, man, I used to get so anxious when this happened, mm. but not anymore. Mm. Or man, I used to get so triggered. Or I used to this, I used to that, you know, and that's when you really start to confirm. And then all of a sudden you're like, that was the greatest night of my life. Yeah. You know, and maybe an easy example would be, you know, is, is labor, like is childbirth a good or a bad trip? 
<laughs> so like, <true>. right <laughs> in the middle of it might not be so good you know? <laughs> but very very often it is the greatest day of a mother's mm-hmm. life you mm-hmm. know? yeah but not not that day they don't they're not like this is the greatest day of my life you know, like, <laughs> i might try to say that you know what I mean? but i think that might be an easy like no i i yeah. feel like i totally got that and i mean when you put it in those terms for me already it feels like the anxiety is taken away from it because if you've got all of these traumas and I mean I literally had a therapy session this morning where we revisited some you know childhood stuff where I got like super emotional about and they weren't you know to the to the out out of you know um audience they're not huge traumas but it's something that I'm still holding on to and I'm 33 years old you know um, and so after that conversation today, I was just like, Poof, feel like I've got a bit of like a hangover from revisiting those, even in like a discussion base, you know. Um, so from you just going through that and saying, actually, yeah, it's not going to be the greatest thing um, to revisit these traumas and to look them square in the eye in this, you know, quite confronting uh, ceremony space. Um, but actually to be able to like take that rucksack of rocks off, off your back, you know, and just chuck it to one side and be like, ah, oh, yes, I can look at this differently now. I haven't got this weighing me down. So I resonated with that hugely. And hopefully any listeners at home as well you can kind of resonate with that too um so thank you for that i mean um plant medicine i i understand obviously you're super passionate about that um plant medicine for me um was i guess my gateway into healing um i in the uk like a medical herbalist isn't as like popular as in the states um but i managed to find a medical herbalist and she helped me with um some autoimmune conditions um so the audience will know very well now i've got psoriasis and i've kind of you know battled that throughout the past kind of four years um and i was reading a little bit more about a digestive issue that you had um and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that was cured through ayahuasca. Is that, Did I read that right? Yeah, you did. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, I just want to touch on one thing that you said, and I think that it's really important for your listeners and everyone in the world to understand it. Um, you said that your uh, traumas weren't that bad. Mm. And I think that's also like a, a totally common thing but I think that unfortunately, it's the result of, you know what I was saying, like building on truths, right? That we perceive a trauma by the experience. Mm. The severity of a trauma can be determined by the experience. Uh, and, and But that is not accurate. Mm. The severity of the trauma is determined by its impact on us. And I read a really wonderful book. I'm a father. I have an eight-year-old daughter. And I try to read some books, you know, like uh, to be a better parent. This book is called Self-Driven Child. It's written by a child psychiatrist. And I apologize to him because I don't remember his name, the author. But um, it he brought up something really uh, very, very powerful. And I want to like reference him because he is a doctor, right? And he did he does like know maybe better than if I were to just say it without refer- that reference. But he described uh, a, a boy in a bad part of Chicago uh, who witnessed his brother get shot in a drive-by shooting while sitting on their front steps. Mm. And it had a really big impact on him. 
And I think saying that everyone would be like, yeah, of course, like what a traumatic experience. But then he contrasted, the author contrasted that with a, a young girl, same age, in a very affluent part of Chicago, who had developed this uh, fear of failure, but mm-hmm. had like went to private school, you know, had everything lived in like a mansion, went to ballet school, uh, you know, like all of these like, incredible gifts that we would measure in, in, in what she had for opportunities in life. But yet, her trauma was equally crippling to her. Mm. I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Cytoplan, a unique science-based supplement company with many years of experience in nutritional science and whose emphasis is on quality of product. My medical herbalist swears by them as they don't use any unnecessary bulking agents. Before I found out about Cytoplan, I was taking up to eight supplements a day, all with bulking agents in them. It was such a relief to find out Cytoplan products are extremely pure. I now use them daily, and I would recommend them to anyone looking for quality vitamins and supplements. They have a great range for many different health benefits. So if you'd like to find out more, please follow the link in the bio of this episode and check out Cytoplan. You won't regret it. And so he did evaluations on these psychological evaluations that give a measurement of trauma. They were the same. Wow. And so I, I think it's really, really important that we don't devalue mm. our own trauma or the impact it has on us, because that lends itself to saying, buck up, you know, like, mm. just fucking deal with it, man. Look at these people. Yeah. I'm going to imagine their trauma is way worse than mine. And therefore, I shouldn't feel as bad. Yeah. You know, and you're like, that's not helping the process. And I'm not trying to be critical no, of you. No, I think it's no, a, a really important message for everyone mm. to understand is that it's not about what happened to you. It's mm-hmm. about the impact of what happened to you on you. And so you can have two people have the exact same thing happen to them. And one person, let's say you get a, uh, a a dog like attacks you you know and so two people they both get attacked by a dog and one person could have this lifelong fear of dogs that if they even see a dog it it creates this panic attack and the other person goes on and has dogs for pets and like they're you know they're they both had the exact same thing happen Mm. but yet the impact it had could be totally different yeah and in that sense you could be crippled by something that unfortunately someone else might be like whatever dude that what you know like oh unfortunately there's that like level of of lack of understanding but for each person just to recognize that like hey mm-hmm. there's no measurement of who got more fucked up by their traumas because of the my imagination of what scale the experience was that's not a great uh, understanding and it's not the reality mm-hmm. it's really about how it impacts you and no matter what happened in your life if it had a traumatic impact on you then that's completely valid and mm-hmm. shouldn't be like talked down and mm-hmm. that you should like acknowledge it in in an effort to resolve it yeah um so yeah my own um uh digestive issue you know, I don't 
think that my digestive issue was trauma related. And we kind of like switched over because Mm -hmm. of the segue of plant medicine. Um, I definitely did have trauma that was resolved in my first experiences with ayahuasca. And, and as a result of that, I, I, well, as a, you know, the complexity of consciousness, I got to a point where I was like, I'm going to fix this digestive issue. Like Mm -hmm. I was so empowered, like I'm going to do this. Now, my digestive issue was that I threw up every single morning. Wow. My digestion was not good. Mm. You know, I it was always it was something I always had to be like mindful of everything I ate. Like even if I fasted, I would throw up water. You know, yeah. I was just yeah, it was like a problem. And I went to a doctor and um, he did like uh, an x-ray, I want to say. And and he showed me this like blotch on in my throat and he said that I had a cyst in my esophagus and that it was like draining into my stomach and and so I took those x-rays to uh an eye ears nose and throat specialist uh, so another doctor and he you know put them up on the on the light board or whatever and he was like what this oh no that's a thumbprint <laughs> Right. So now I'm like, oh, what? I'm like, man, like, so I don't have a cyst. He's like, no, you don't have a cyst. And he's like, you have an ulcer. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, because of those two being so totally different, I was like, I'm just going to go and see one more doctor, you know? So let me like, you know, which one of these is, is more accurate, I guess. And and the third doctor was like, you don't have an ulcer and you don't have a cyst. You just have acid reflux. And so I was like, what the fuck? You know, yeah, like, yeah. aren't you all supposed to be kind of on the same page here? Like, what do I do? Just choose which of the problems that you've presented is the one that I will believe I have. Like, mm-hmm. it just was completely unsatisfying for me. So I just said, fuck it all. Like, I'm, I don't trust any of you anymore. And I began like looking for remedies and, and that was like a big part of how I found ayahuasca. It intrigued me for so many other reasons, but that was kind of the seed to plant. So I dealt with that issue for three years, finding ayahuasca in, you know, 2001, um, there wasn't like a place to go or a thing to, you know, what it was like, oh, there's a medicine out there called ayahuasca. But it wasn't like I was could do it, you know. Yeah. And um, and when I did end up going in two thousand three down to the Amazon, the way that I was healed was that I, again, in my fourth ceremony, so I had really made these like leaps and bounds in understanding and uh, recognizing the true potential. And you know, I was just like eating it up. Obviously I have an affinity for working with ayahuasca. <laughs> you know, I, I turned it into my entire life, but um, the fourth ceremony, I knew I would be healed. So I had already brought myself to that faith, like hundred percent, like I'm going to be healed. I'm going to heal myself tonight. And in the ceremony, my spirit left my body. And I, at first I turned around and I looked at my stomach, like, okay, let me use some x-ray vision. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I couldn't see. And so I was like, okay, what should I do then? And I just came to the idea, like, okay, shrink down. And my spirit shrunk down to this little, like bite-sized me. 
and I went in my mouth and down my throat and then I was in my my stomach no yeah right <laughs> and and there were these creatures in there and I was like I don't think you guys should be here so I started like removing these little furry creatures that had like spiky teeth mouths and um and I removed them all there were like I don't know 20 of them or something in there and then there was just you know empty space of my stomach and this dark murky water in the bottom and I thought that looks kind of gross but I drank ayahuasca you know I don't know I don't know what is it supposed to look like you know so I was like I think I'm done came back out but then I like checked in, in my body, you know, and I was like, nah, I don't think so. Like, I, I still feel, I still feel this like wrong, you know, something's still wrong. So I went back in again and I'm like, well, it's gotta be in this, in this water. So I didn't look under the surface. So now I'm like, okay, let me go in and check out this, you know, swampy, mess down here and as soon as I got close I saw two eyes looking back up at me and it was this squid and it had its tentacles like wrapped into the exit of my stomach to block it like to damn it so that it would fill up with this nasty fluid so it could live in my stomach wow. and right away I was like putting these pieces together like oh you fucker like you can, <laughs> you know so like now I'm like oh every morning I gotta throw this up because you're not like letting it go out because you're damning it you know to live in there so I'm like I gotta get rid of you so I'm like pulling the suction cups of its tentacles off of the stomach lining and then into my intestines also and that hurt like physical pain when I did wow. it to the point where I was like maybe I should just leave this thing and I was like <laughs> no you know like you'll get over the pain you'll you'll heal those little suction cup wounds but you got to get rid of this thing so I get rid of it this is all hard to describe it's like in a another dimension like in yeah. a visionary dream you could say mm. and and then I knew I was healed. I did like curl up into the fetal position because it was so much pain, but I knew I was healed of the digestive issue that had plagued me for three years. Now I was just going to heal up like, you know, these little suction cup wounds. But um, by the end of the night, I didn't have any pain and I just felt so, you know, relieved isn't even the best, like, I don't know, empowered, right? I was just truly powerful. I had identified my problem and healed it and then later months later i would wind up talking to a parasite specialist mm. and described my experience and they were like oh there's a parasite that looks just like a squid no like, when you were oh. saying that when you were saying that i was thinking it's a parasite and oh i mean you you quite literally took your health into your own hands <laughs> you just went in there and scooped it on out like that is insane Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I should say this because my story is not the normal story <laughs> and I'm not trying to like toot my own horn. I do really feel like everything in my life worked up so that I would be doing this so that I would start the ayahuasca foundation that I would make it my life, you know, yeah. the same way that a professional musician is had a experience in their life that obviously isn't 
normal either you know mm -hmm. so it's not like every person as long as you just go down and do some ayahuasca ceremonies your spirit will leave your body and you'll fix all your problems <laughs> it's possible it's definitely possible but it's not really what should be expected mm. and and also like even with my description i was kind of describing the ultimate right yeah. Like you turn the light on, you see exactly mm -hmm. what it is, you fix mm -hmm. it, it's permanent, you know, and you're done. That is definitely happen uh, possible and it happens more often, but still it's not, it shouldn't be the expectation. It, you know, it, it would be the ultimate goal. It would be the ideal, but usually it's somewhere not a hundred percent, you know, and that's where the integration process like continues that continues to expand on that where you're you're like working with it mm. in the sense of like you know if you turn the light on in that metaphor you just see clearly and you never go back right but if you aren't fully turning the light on but you get it brighter you know you you might now say okay i am i'm i feel much more likely that that animal it wasn't an animal. I think it was a toy, but you're not like, I know for sure. Mm. You know, I, I think that's probably more likely. Yeah. And, and so therefore you kind of still need to work on that so that it does replace that truth as it does replace that reference mm -hmm. uh, in your memories. But some people definitely have it where like it's done. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but I would say that more likely is that there's a degree of it being done and that additional work needs to to coach that, like to get it closer and closer to that truth. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, one of the questions I had actually was like, you know, do you recommend doing it more than once? So for people that come to do, say, for example, one of the 10-day retreats, they, you know, the lights it's on but as you say maybe the the thing in the corner they still aren't quite sure about what would your advice be for them would it be come back and 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 delve into that further um or would it be can you continue some of the work at home which maybe doesn't include ayahuasca but it's exploring those memories in more detail right yeah well i mean we're focusing kind of on one aspect of our being um, there's so many parts to what health is right and, and what it means to be healthy and I I do like have four categories of what healthy um, behavior should be focused on or maybe what causes unhealthy uh, states of being and and we try our best to address all of them or really three out of the four one of them is injury um so we're not really the place to go like if you break a bone or something probably don't go to an ayahuasca retreat right <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing that modern medicine i think has done a great job with yeah um but yeah so those four the the way i look at it injury definitely can cause you to not be healthy mm -hmm. we don't really focus that much on that but nutrition or lack of nutrition can definitely cause you to be unhealthy. And I would say that across the board, especially for now, like where we're at with modern culture, mm. everyone has deficiencies. Yeah. Everyone has some uh, level of malnutrition, whether it's a vitamin deficiency or a mineral deficiency, or there's some deficiencies. And unfortunately, like 
what has been done to our food is definitely the culprit, you know, that contributes so much to that. So we definitely try to give people real food that's nourishing to like bring back better nutrition. Mm-hmm. And and part of that is also by doing cleanses that help the absorption of those nutrients. And then the next one would be uh, toxicity as a cause of uh, unhealthiness. Now that's also like incredibly prevalent, more and more prevalent. And to me, that's why we see like rises of illnesses mm. when in theory, we should be seeing everything decrease if we're like improving our medical systems, but we're more and more toxic. And, and so that's a big part of it. Mm. You know, removing toxins is a big part of it. To be honest, like for psoriasis, like to me, mm. removing toxins, that's why you have psoriasis, two-part, right? Like mm-hmm. mostly two-part. And then the third that I'll get into also, which we've already been talking about, so you can predict it, but nutrition or malnutrition and then toxicity are really important to address. And mm. so we do a lot of cleanses. The ayahuasca ceremonies, of which there are five, by the way, on a 10-day retreat, um, uh, also are a a version of of cleansing for sure. Um, But they're more on the emotional and spiritual elements of cleansing and and the mental. Um, Whereas the body, we have cleanses using medicines that are categorized as purgatives that are specifically designed to clean your digestive system, Mm. which no one loves to do because they like make you throw up or have diarrhea. Um, But they're really important to cleanse the digestive system. We take medicines that cleanse the circulatory system, that cleanse the blood that has those toxins running through them. And we cleanse the central nervous system also like really really important to have a pure central nervous system because all of those things can then start to cause all of our 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 current like epidemic of age-related issues like alzheimer's and dementia and parkinson's and all those things to me Mm -hmm. that's the case of 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 toxification wow and and the respiratory system and and we have vapor baths that are like saunas that help us sweat out so there's a huge detox process in those 10 days and and that's like in conjunction with the work that's being done in those five ayahuasca ceremonies which are every other night during the the 10-day retreat wow um and then that third one uh, or really the fourth because i started with injury is emotional trauma Mm-hmm. And the effects of trauma can be really devastating and they affect the other elements. And and that that's the part that's like harder to grasp. I mean, we really don't have much of an understanding of the effects of trauma and how trauma works. Unfortunately, there's almost like nothing that mm-hmm. is done about it. Not to discredit your therapist, but, mm-hmm. you know, even the talk therapy just hasn't shown to alleviate trauma very well and medication doesn't do anything but mask it but the way that trauma can impact us you know one way of saying it would be that you express it in Mm. physical illnesses or symptoms um and you know i guess i could just leave it there that it gets Mm. expressed i Mm -hmm. think that more complex is like if you um start to hate a part of yourself as a result of the impact of trauma, then 
your hatred of that part of yourself will you'll have a response from the part that you're hating mm. you know so if you have uh if you hate a particular part you're literally like i wish you would die cells and then your cells are like dude we're getting the message to like just fuck off so you know let's not let's listen to what the message is of course you're not you don't want to send that message but mm. because of the trauma you're trapped in this loop where you're essentially sending and directing your own self towards a lack of health or towards a negative outcome mm. and and so we try to deal with emotional trauma and that's a lot of what happens in the ayahuasca ceremonies and then outside of the ceremonies we do our best to detoxify the body and also to bring back a more nourishing um, diet and and those three components don't have to be done with ayahuasca mm -hmm. i think that ayahuasca is incredibly powerful when it comes to the trauma parts but outside of that or anytime like today you know we could always engage in a detoxification or at the very least we could be more mindful about limiting the toxins mm -hmm. you know and and that i mean that should be what our doctors are doing right like yeah, if you go into now. if you should, if you go in and see your doctor the very first things they should ask are what are you eating Mm. you know and and what what toxins are entering your system totally and you know so let's like start there and let's stop the toxins and improve the nutrition mm -hmm. and you'll make so much progress just by doing that a hundred percent rather than the prescription you know steroids and god knows what that people are kind of pumping into their body and then it's just this you know repetitive cycle and then more symptoms show up and then i mean that's why i started this podcast really because i was just like so done with like going to the gp and and trying to find out answers and having to like self-advocate and and being kind of you know silenced each time and 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 knowing fundamentally in my gut that actually that I, I there were ways of healing myself and from um plant medicine I actually did heal my psoriasis it was like within the space of like four weeks and I'd completely healed and I'd done like a huge gut cleanse before that um and you know it fluctuates obviously with different stresses stresses that are going on and triggers then it'll flare up again so I have to kind of review it and then look at my diet look at the toxins and then you know have a chat with my herbalist and see whether we weave in some more plant medicine um depending on the situation but I mean that was just like so empowering for me for the first time in my life to be able to to have to take my own health into my own hands and make that informed decision um which ultimately helped to cure my psoriasis for my wedding day which was like a huge thing for me in terms of my confidence in terms of like walking down the aisle you know with that yeah happiness and contentment um so yeah so 100 percent, i think that's so important i think the work that you're doing is is just honestly it's like my mind is blown <laughs> um and well, what I'm, you just described too is kind of almost perfect to what I was um, pointing out, you know, like, so even without ayahuasca or well, without that specific treatment for what I'll still refer to as trauma, mm. you know, unfortunately, when you have stress, when you have like some negative responses, then there can still be a flare up, right? And so that to me is because, well, you you can only go so far 
And yep. that's where like a treatment like ayahuasca can take it to that last degree, you know, can mm-hmm. really like resolve some of that so that you don't have that response that expresses itself in mm-hmm. that way. Mm, definitely. Yeah. It feels like the missing link actually for me, um, especially. So it's definitely gonna be something I look into in more depth. Um, and I wanted to ask, um, so before we started recording, you were speaking about um, the new research that you're doing for PTSD and in specifically um, veterans. So I think this is something that's fascinates me. I mean, there's loads of programs on Netflix on, you know, people like cancer patients who will be given like a psilocybin, um, you know, trip, and it helps them to come to terms with dying essentially. Um, and so this used in like a, a medical format is something that's so fascinating to me and, and something that I feel should be available, um, you know, for everyone in the right situation. Um, so, yeah, can you tell us more about the research that you're doing currently, which starts tomorrow, if I'm correct? Yeah, the pilot study starts tomorrow. In fact, right now, the the veterans are like having their preliminary data uh, collected like before the the retreat begins and um so they're like working with the onaya science research team as wow. we speak wow. um so that's a group of 10 veterans and they were selected because of their already involvement with a group called heroic hearts which is also in the uk mm. um, and canada and that organization is specifically helping veterans to go to ayahuasca retreats um because ayahuasca has been shown so well to alleviate or or help with trauma and and so it's this really awesome collaboration i should and definitely want to mention um the grant town foundation is funding it so an organization in the united states called the grant town foundation cared enough to say can we fund this project so they're funding this entire project in collaboration with heroic hearts who already has this network of veterans looking to receive this treatment, Onaya Science, which has already been doing this uh, scientific research and has published the results such that we're able to um, validate the need for research like this, and then our organization. So it's just really like beautiful coming together. Um, And yeah, that research is incredibly comprehensive. So when I mean data collection, like as gross as it might sound, um, they are all giving poop samples uh, so that their gut biome can be an- analyzed before they do the retreat. Mm. And they're giving saliva samples so that their genome can be analyzed before the retreat for potential epigenetic changes. And and then they're getting fitted with their EEG helmets um, or whatever the right term is for that. Um, so that they can have the brainwave readings um, to also measure the changes in brainwave function as a result. Wow. And then and then they're also filling out the psychological evaluations. I, I'm really like um, appreciative that they are so willing to do the research. Obviously, yeah. they're not paying for it. So mm-hmm. in that sense, like they're it's a trade-off like to be to participate in the study but to also receive the benefit of mm. the retreat itself but yeah i mean it's just like i said this coming together of all these pieces in a really wonderful way and i agree with you 100% i mean i think that 
I would love to see a revival of plant medicine and a revival of plant spirit medicine, um, you know, like a, an understanding of that use of expanded awareness through particular plant medicines. And psilocybin is definitely one of them. I would say on a global scale, psilocybin should be the like global shamanic medicine, if you want to call it that, but that we don't really have the same uh, depth of understanding of the process of that science of consciousness enhancement that comes from the tradition of its use with psilocybin that we do with ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. Ayahuasca to me is probably the most intact shamanic tradition in the world. And uh, also like other medicines like ibogaine or iboga rather and peyote and San Pedro. Um, you know, there are some other plant medicines that do have a tradition, but I don't think that they are as intact as the ayahuasca tradition. Mm -hmm. So to me, like studying the ayahuasca tradition uh, so that we can integrate the principles of that tradition into our understanding of how other medicines are administered is tremendous value for us. Mm. And, and that's like a big passion for me. Uh, I've, I've, I've already like talked about um, the, the idea of having chemotherapy ceremonies mm. as a way to introduce and exemplify the impact of elements of the tradition Whereas if you were to, instead of go to the hospital for a chemotherapy session, which most people hate, yeah. and they already have a, an incredibly negative impression about it, mm -hmm. which to me is not conducive to greater benefit. You know, it works against you if you hate the treatment that you want to heal you. Yeah. Um, it's almost like calling a person you hate when you need some help, you know, yeah. Like, like yeah. probably not going to give you the best quality of help that you want. And, yeah. and so what if you instead like go to this beautiful place in the woods to get your chemotherapy mm. and it's not sterile, you know, it doesn't conjure up all the memories of negative feelings that hospitals tend to do. Yes. And, and that the administration of the chemotherapy is this beautiful performance where you are actually directed towards looking inward so you're not watching tv while you're on chemo you're not like distracting yourself intentionally from anything that's happening but yet at the same time hoping that it will somehow resolve your issues while you do your best to not give any attention to them mm. and you know there will be so many of these components and i you know it's inevitable to me that we could dramatically increase the effectiveness of chemotherapy, which I'm not saying everybody should get chemotherapy, but it's there and it's the go-to. Mm -hmm. Can we make it better? And I think mm -hmm. that it's a great example of how we could integrate our a, a deeper understanding of indigenous or ancestral traditions to improve the effectiveness of our current medical models. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm passionate about. Yeah. I mean, that's that makes so much sense as well. Because I mean, in so many situations on a daily basis now, we're constantly distracting ourselves. If we feel stressed out, um, if you've just had an argument with somebody, um, you know, as you say, if somebody's getting chemotherapy in a hospital, you don't want to think about it, even though it's your body is is sick eff effectively and you've got cancer within the body. Um, and rather than kind of, as you say, going inward, um, we're detaching from it. So it's just so detached, even our sickness and yeah, and just having those negative connotations. So, I mean, that sounds incredible. If fingers crossed, I never have to do that. But 
I would 100% sign me up for for whatever you do. <laughs> well, I mean, to be totally honest, I'm, you know, a lot of people are like, what are you doing? You know, you're like, you want people to get chemotherapy? And honestly, I don't. Yeah, um, you know, that's I, also I, another, yeah, another huge I, discussion. I do feel that a better approach would be to go deep into detoxification mm-hmm. and to go deep into a better nourishment, you know, just like we said, as well as to deal with emotional trauma, like that to me would be my preference, Mm -hmm. but trying to tell, you know, trying to like, Oh, let's just bring that in. You know, I want to get there, but I also want to be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be realistic, but, um, but yeah, I, um, you know, there was one thing that you said that you, it was really cool. You were talking about your own, uh, healing with psoriasis and you said I felt it in my gut mm. and and that little phrase thank god that we still have that phrase you know because it really speaks to something that I tie very closely to our ancestry our ancestral traditions when we we still considered ourselves part of the earth where we still gave thanks to the elements of nature, like what we recognize now in in shamanism, but yet we don't actually hold as a foundational truth in our own realities. Mm. And so unfortunately, we tend to now see ourselves as just like an individual alone on the world. And we're just all like in competition with each other, but at the very least happen to be on the same place at the same time but without a connection. Mm. And I think that that itself is a trauma. That is like a, a cultural trauma that is almost at a, at a, a species level because it's so prevalent, that inaccuracy of understanding that wasn't a part of our ancestral tradition. And the gut feeling, why it speaks to me is because that is the world speaking to you, mm. right? And so we're receiving that message through our sensory organs. And yeah, we receive information when we see and stuff uh, and, and have the, the like classic five sensory experiences. But we also have all these other organs that are also sensory organs, but we don't value them. But thankfully, we have gut feeling, mm. right? We still have it. It's still there because it's such a reality. And and. To me, that is proof of the connection that, no, we are part of the earth. I am a part of the region I live in, and I am a part of this entire being that is the earth, that is incredibly wise and incredibly powerful. And because of that connection, right off the bat, we could alleviate the aloneness that is an inaccurate interpretation of our identity, but it is a truth that we then build a detrimental belief system on top of and and it's those core truths that i think we need to be able to evaluate and it's through traditions like ayahuasca that can help us to resolve those or improve those inaccuracies so that we build our reality on a foundation of truth that serves us and that truth does not that we are alone Mm. and and that we are not supported by the world that we live in and then you start to then see how you interact with other people Mm. when you realize that like you and i are cells in the same body Mm. then of course it will 
influence my behavior towards you or mm-hmm. influence my behavior towards anyone. Mm-hmm. And that tree is is like a cell in the same body that I am a part of. Therefore, my reaction to that tree, the way I treat nature, the way I treat animals, like all of these things starts to change because mm-hmm. of one core truth that we make more accurate. And that is the truth of our ancestors, of our ancestral traditions that are some of which are still intact, like the Amazonian traditions of ayahuasca. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it just, I could listen to you all day. <laughs> um so I wanted to finish up today um, for anyone listening who is interested in ayahuasca, but they don't know where to start online. Um, where do they go? What are the, where's the best place for them to have a look? Do you have any web- websites, any um, books that we can read? Um, yeah, that would be amazing. Well, I'm writing a book. Um, so hey. hopefully this year, um, a book will come out by me. But yeah, you can visit our website, which is ayahuascafoundation.org, um, or just search for Ayahuasca Foundation. I'm Carlos Tanner. You can also search for me. I have a, uh, the Ayahuasca Foundation has a YouTube channel. And on that channel is a series of 10 episodes called Lessons from Ayahuasca. So that might be a good place to start if you do think that Ayahuasca might be a good path to take i do try to go through like all the different elements some of which we talked about um today and but of course our website does have a lot of information other books that i might recommend um there is an author named joe tafor who wrote a book called fellowship of the river he's a friend of mine uh he's a medical doctor in the u.s but he did a five-year apprenticeship in the shipibo tradition which is really unique um, I would also recommend the author Leonard Laskow, uh, who wrote Healing with Love and Forgiving Love. Um, he's a big influence, even though I don't think he's ever drank ayahuasca, but his understanding of how consciousness and its combination with love and the highest frequency of emotions are the most powerful thing that we can have. And that's what I brought up at the very beginning about healing as an art form. Mm. and and so if i had one thing to say i would like suggest the consideration of healing as an art form and such that when you go to your doctor the way you feel about your doctor is incredibly important and you want to have a feeling of the highest frequency possible right you want to love your doctor and you want to love the medicine and the treatment that is if you know as close as you can get will directly correlate to the amount of benefit you receive from your doctor from the treatment and from the medicine that's amazing thank you so so much for for your time today i feel like honestly there's so many more questions that i've got but um it's it's been eye-opening for me and something i'm going to look into in more depth now um and who knows maybe i'll make it to the amazon to join you one day (laughs) all right cool um thank you so much and um, thank you for listening to the moody girl audience have a great weekend you take care Bye. bye This was a conversation that really stuck with me. Even from just speaking with Carlos and not even trying ayahuasca for myself, I felt a greater want for universal unity and togetherness. 
So much of life is gearing us up to be overly competitive, selfish and jealous. But what if we start looking at this differently? Being more open to new ideas and ways of thinking, learning from each other and rooting for friends, family, strangers and even nature. Surely this would be better for society. Nobody actually knows what or where consciousness comes from, but the ayahuasca experience certainly sounds like it gets deeper than we've ever been before. And it certainly seems this is highlighting that our mind is an incredibly powerful tool for healing. If you'd like to find out more, you can check out Carlos on his socials at Ayahuasca Foundation. And his website is www.ayahuascafoundation.org. You can also keep up to date with me on my socials at Moody Girl Official. Until next time.